0: Now this weekend, I want to finish up the freedom series that I'm doing by talking about living free together. The last two messages, I focused on uh, coming to a place of personal freedom because whenever the Bible talks about freedom, it isn't talking about us being able to do whatever we want to do. Right? that's not how the bible defines freedom but when jesus spoke about being free and free indeed it's about the truth setting us free it's about being free from the bondages of sin and the old nature overcoming our our own our nature and walking in the freedom to obey the lord amen but to talk about personal freedom without talking about the collective freedom that God wants us to express is to be incomplete about what God wants us to do. Because, you know, it is important for us as a body of Christians to begin to express Uh, freedom as a community and as uh, the body of Christ, right? As Christians, we cannot fully express who God is on our own. That's how our faith is. Our faith is never meant to be expressed through individuals only, but it is always to be expressed through a body of people because God's put us in a community of people. It was Nelson Mandela who said this, for to be free is not just to cast off one's chains, but to live in a way that respects and enhances the freedom of hours and God intends for the community of his people to express a freedom that the world can look upon and says hey that's a good expression Of freedom. So what I want to do in this last message is to give us some concepts that are essential for us to understand in order for us as a community of people to express the freedom that God has given to us. I want to distill for us some of these uh, concepts from the Scriptures, from the Bible, looking both at the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. You see, God chooses men-women. He puts His Spirit upon them. He uses them. But when it comes to expressing what God is and who God is, uh, God doesn't choose individuals. God chooses uh, His people. In the Old Testament, He chose a whole nation, Israel, to be an expression of who He is and what He wants to do. In the New Testament, He has chosen the church to be the expression of who He wants. So it's important for us to understand how do we express God as a group of people. So four concepts I want to give to you. The first is this, a community community versus a society and this is the first concept i want to present to us okay because here in cornerstone our full name is cornerstone community church We're not cornerstone society church okay we're cornerstone community church okay and this word community wasn't incidental it is an important aspect of the expression of the ecclesia the church of jesus christ right and for us to understand what a community is i've chosen this other concept society to draw a difference so that we can compare and we can understand what is really a community now even though both words society and community refers to an aggregation of people a society is distinguished particularly by the, by the way in which there is order and there are systems, extensive systems that are in place. Okay, In a society, there's always a clear political system that the society adopts and there are clear hierarchies and systems that are in place in order for the society to function. Our, na- our nation, Singapore, for example, is a society. If you didn't know that, the National Pledge clearly states this, that we are a democratic society. There is a political system that we follow, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a democracy, right? We have elected political leaders. We've got laws and systems to you know, enforce the law. We have clear structures of authority and these things are all essential for a society to function. No nation can work and function well without these hierarchies of power and authority. And that's what a society is but a community is quite different a community is built not on formal rigid systems of hierarchies and of authority instead a community is primarily built on relationships okay let me give you two examples one from the old testament one from the new okay the first example is found in Israel when Israel was in the wilderness, wandering 40 years, okay? And this is a unique time and this is where community is being, was being established, okay? And it was unique because if you look at the, uh, Israel when it was in the wilderness, it's a very unusual system, right? I mean, you had Moses who was the leader for those 40 years while Israel was in the wilderness. Uh, at, at different seasons of their journey, they had different numbers of elders and leaders that were leading the nation. At one time, they had 70. At one time, they had 100 over leaders. And you know, honestly, that is not a lot of leaders, is it? I mean, uh, the nation that was in the wilderness, there were about 1.5 to 2 million people. Can you imagine in governing over a million to 2 million people with just 70 or 100 leaders all in all? That's quite little, isn't it? You see, the distinctiveness of Israel at this point of time, you know, in the words of anthropologists, they call it a liminal space. What is a liminal space? a liminal space is a space of transition of ambiguity it is a place of transformation okay this was a time when god compressed the nation into a small space where they were dependent on god for food for water you know for warmth as well as for protection they didn't know one day to the next where they were going they were directed by a pillar of fire by night a cloud in the daytime when that cloud moves they move when that cloud stops they stop and because of this unique position that they were in, they were dictated by the visible presence of God, there wasn't really a need for an extensive you know, set of hierarchies or you know, a line of authority. In fact, at that time, Israel was organized based on families. There were tri- 12 tribes and they were placed according to their tribes and each tribe was organized according to their family lines. And, you know, and so it was a patriarchal system that, were, that they ran on that was derived based off family, relationships you realize that i mean because of that unique space it was in the wilderness that god was forming the nation he needed the nation to be compressed together and what was essentially built during that time was a community that was in the wilderness when you come to the book of when when you come to the book of acts in the new testament after the birth of the church you see something similar as well as far as structure was concerned we are told that there are 12 apostles You know, there were some elders, how many we don't know. There were seven deacons, and that's about it. The church was growing day by day. First sermon Peter preaches, 3,000 people get saved, and then 5,000 people got saved. I mean, there must have been tens of thousands of people in the church, in the early church in the book of Acts, and yet there was hardly, I don't know, 50 leaders all in all that was looking after the church. And again, we see a large number of people with minimal structured leadership. What is even more telling is the way that the church was described, right? We are told that they continued in the Apostles' Doctrine. They met from house to house, breaking bread. They held things in common. I mean, imagine that. And they prayed together. You know, again, this is the description of a community because the basis of these activities were activities of relationship. They were activities of prayer and of getting into the Word of God. It was not structured. It was not structural, you understand? Right, I mean think about that. I mean, they looked after one another, those were needs, you know, the church, the 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 you know, the the, the Christians who provide for their needs. Right? Nobody was in lack, nobody had access. I mean, this was really a community. You see, the distinction and difference between a society and a community is that a society is built on structure, but a community is built on relationships. That's the difference. You see, a nation needs left structure and hierarchy and that's why for a nation to 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 to, you know to succeed and to function you got to build a society that's what it is but as a church our primary modus operandi isn't a society it is a community that's why it's cornerstone community church you understand we cannot just come to church on the weekends and just hear a sermon you can't just walk into church week after week pay your tithes experience worship hear a sermon and then say hey i'm part of the church you're not okay because the community element is missing it requires for us to build meaningful relationships, be transparent, you know, and have deep relationships with one another. You've got to be willing to open your life. you got to be willing to get into other people's lives, have auth- authenticity, and begin to learn what it means to be in a spiritual family with brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? Now, I know this sounds really awkward, maybe even a little bit arcane, but there was a time when the church was very comfortable calling each other brothers and sisters, right? I mean... Tim is here, you know. Can you imagine like, oh brother Tim, how are you doing? You know, oh brother Lib, yes, I'm doing well. Oh sister so and so, how are you doing? You know, and I, I I promise you, if we start doing that here in Cornerstone, everybody's gonna be a, ooh so awkward, you know, <laughs> right? And I'm not saying that we should do that, but hey, there has to be a reality that we are indeed brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? You, there has to be a sense of reality that, hey, we're we, we coming to a place, where building relationships to a point that, hey, what happens to my brother and my sister in Christ actually affects me. Not too long ago, I went out for a lunch meeting with one of these um, very godly sisters who are, who's here in church. And uh, she's a little bit older than me, not by very much. I um, won't tell you how much older. I'll just say not by very much, okay, in case she's listening in today. And then she said, well, Lib, you make me sound so old, okay. And, um, but we went out for lunch and we had this conversation. We were talking about a couple of things. And somewhere along the way, you know, she turned to me and she said, hey, uh, Pastor Lib, you know, I've heard you preach in church quite a bit. And when you pray, you have a tendency to pray, uh, Lord, you know, bless the church. You have, a, you have a tendency to address, you know, the people as the congregation or as the church. And she said this, you know, not in a legalistic manner. She didn't say this in like some kind of judgmental way. She just said, Lip, you need to start addressing, you know, the people as your brothers and your sisters because there's something we have not fully understood. We've not fully understood what it means to be a family in Christ. And, you know, and when she said that, I'm telling you this, I was deeply convicted about it. She began to talk about different times where she saw this happening, where the church really came to a place of being a family, where they wept together, they... You know, um, they hurt for each other. When one was going through pain, everybody felt the pain. And it wasn't fake, it was real, it was real. I mean, this week I spoke for two hours with Pastor Nikki on the phone, and he was telling me about his situation in India and how they had, lost, they had already lost 16 pastors in their network to COVID. He told me that, you know, a week before, a 13-year-old girl called him from India, and he, he knows this girl, he knows that this girl has got a younger sister, and the parents are pastors in the network. And the 13-year-old called him and said, my dad, my mom have died from COVID, leaving just two of them, two young girls. And they said, their bodies have been in the house for a couple of days, and we can't get anyone to remove the bodies. Can you imagine two young kids with their parents' dead bodies in the house? How traumatic that is. When we hear things like that, how do we feel? Do we kind of like just, oh Lord, just watch over them. Or do, we, is that a, a, do we cry over these things? Do we understand that we are a family here and when one part of the family really is hurting, everyone hurts? Let me confess this. I don't understand this. I have no, this is not like a deep reality for me. And that's why I was convicted when this sister said this to me. I was so convicted, I decided from that day onwards, I will not call you guys, hey church, let's do this. You know? I will always say, as far as I can remember, to say, hey brothers and sisters, let's do this. It's not because I have this deep realization that this is a deep reality, but I believe this as I begin to change the way I talk. I want God to bring me to a revelation and a reality that these are my brothers and sisters. That there is something, that there is a real love, there's a real investedness that we have, a commitment to one another. Amen. And I want to encourage us because that's what a community is. I believe this when the church discovers the power of community, when we come into the reality of community, there is a genuine power that comes upon us. Why is it that we're not seeing the power of the book of Acts like we do? Maybe it's because we have not discovered the power of community. And the evidence of the depth of their community in in Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4 is that they sold all they had, they held everything in common. you know how difficult that is, especially for Jewish people? And equally difficult for Chinese people, Asian people, because Eastern people, people like us while in the East, possessions is a big deal. But when we start sharing what we have in common and we don't think what is this is our own and we start loving one another as a family i think that there is a power that will be released that the world has not yet seen coming from the church amen yep it's an aspiration it's something that we're looking to god now the second concept i want to give to us is what does it mean to be safe versus silent okay you see many times you consider a safe space or a safe place, to be a place where we can share our secrets, our struggles, you know, and our confidences would be kept. And that is true. For there to be a, a genuine community to be established, this is a starting point. Proverbs 11, 13 says this, A talebearer bearer reveals secrets, but he who is of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. So it's important for us not to be tale not to be a babble-mouth, okay? Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 7, an, an interesting uh Uh, a little line in this one verse uh, where it is talking about a time and a season for everything. It says this, there is a time to keep silence and a time to speak. You see, the key element of understanding safe spaces is that there must be a wisdom to determine the difference between when to be safe and when to be silent, when to speak and when to keep quiet. Proverbs 17 verse 9 in the Amplified Version says this, He who covers and forgives an offense seeks love but he who repeats or gossips about matter separates intimate friends You see, when, when there are talebearers, when there's gossipers no one will ever feel safe There will not be freedom in the community. A community must be, you know, the community must have trust. We must know how to keep silent and how to guard people. And, you know, and a community will not see an expression of freedom when there is gossipers and when there is tailbearers. Now I want to give us a little phrase, okay, thematic phrase in scriptures. And it's found in 1 Proverbs chapter 4, verse 8, as well as um, sorry, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, and Proverbs 10, 12, okay. In 1 Peter 4 it says this. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love covers; love will cover a multitude of sin. You know that's the phrase. Love will cover a multitude of sin. Now again, in Proverbs ten twelve, it says the same thing. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sin. So here is this phrase: love covers sin. What does this mean? Does it mean a cover-up? Does it mean that when people sin, we cover up for them? Now, here's something I want to explain, okay? The first thing is this, okay? A safe environment will confront sin. James chapter 5, verse 20 says this, Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So here's the phrase again. But the phrase now is explained, okay? Covering a sin is not covering up the sin, right? In fact, this verse makes it so clear that when you confront someone who is in error, who is in sin, and you turn them back to the path of righteousness, what you've done is you've covered the sin, right? So covering the sin is is not covering up and not talking about it. It's confronting it and overcoming the sin that is in a person's life. You see, that's what a safe environment looks like. It's a place where we have people that love us enough not to let us do whatever it is that we want to do, but will instead confront us about what we're doing and say, hey brother, that's not right. Hey sister, you shouldn't do that. But they come in the spirit of love. Because they genuinely care for our eternity and for our well-being. So therefore, a safe environment is not silent. Okay? It is not silent. Now, there are times though that it is silent. A safe environment covers instead of gossiping. Because Jesus tells us this, okay? That a safe environment isn't a place where we go around broadcasting everybody's sin and error. But the lord actually gave us a prescribed methodology for dealing with sin and this is found in matthew 18 verse 15 to 17. it says you have a problem with your brother and your sister go talk to them if they turn fine but if they don't bring another two or three witnesses for in the mouth of two or three witnesses the matter is established bring some witnesses confront the issue if it still doesn't work then bring it to the church and then the church will judge the matter okay this is the prescribed. Methodology Jesus gave, but let me qualify this. Okay, before you all start applying this, okay, that this um, that when you have a squabble with your fellow cell mates, okay, please don't do something like that. Okay, Jesus prescribed this because there's a serious sin that is being committed. Okay, if you have a disagreement in your cell group, why don't you always make me share? You know, in cell group, you know, I, I bring a witness, testify against you. Please don't do that. Okay, it's not for us to do something like this, okay. Most, and the, issues, the problem, most of the time, our issue with our brothers and sisters is not a sin issue. It's an area of interpersonal conflict, of misunderstanding, of different personalities coming together. Now, when it comes to those things, the simple instruction from the Bible is forgive and cover. Don't talk about people. Oh, this person always like that. This person, you know, got BO, you know, or whatever it is, you know. That's not how we do We cover. That's where you need to cover one another. Now, you know, I, I, we've got three boys that we've raised to teenage years, and we still have trouble uh, getting them to work together. Yeah. But now, all of a sudden, you know, I, I mean, so you know, you've got to understand, my early, the early part of my parenting uh, process, okay, is all boys. Then all of a sudden, now, we've got two girls in our house, two young toddlers, okay. And I'm telling you, girls are so different from boys, you know, boys will rough house together, they'll push one another and all that, you know, but girls, wow, they're very territorial, you know, like, this is my space, you don't come, you know, I mean, they, they'll touch one another, oh, mom, she touched me, we're like, you're made of gold, cannot touch. <laughs> Every small thing, you know, oh, did they make a face at me? You know, May -may did this, you know, and she's copying what I'm doing, you know. And all these little things, you know, evoke a dramatic reaction from the other. They come screaming, crying to us, complaining about the others. You know what this is called? This is called childishness. Childishness, okay. And guess what? Many times, Christians behave exactly like that. Childish, right? The point... I want to make it simply this: Don't be too sensitive, okay? Let's let's you know, don't be offended by everything that happens around you, okay? And definitely don't gossip, don't backbite. Just because you don't like somebody, just because somebody doesn't, you know, speak your own lingo, you know, don't don't backbite, okay? And in this case, a safe environment is an environment that is accepting. A safe environment is an environment that is silent. So there is a time not to be silent. And there is a time to be silent okay now the third thing i want to bring to us okay is accountable accountability versus control now this is another essential element that has to be established in a community that we are building okay and it's the element of accountability okay and the reason we need accountability is because our actions don't just affect ourselves when you're in a community your actions affect everybody else and that's why you got to give an account now paul was a tremendous apostle, but his life was also an example of accountability. In the epistle of Galatians, I'm going to give you a little summary chart of what happened. Okay, um, Paul wrote quite extensively about the process that he went through after his conversion. Okay, He said in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15 to 19, that after his conversion, after he got saved, um, he didn't go and confer with other people, but instead he went to Arabia, and for three years, he was locked up with the Lord. As you read through the rest of the passage, you realize that he's, sa- he's basically giving you a clue into what happened in those three years. Okay? And in those three years, Jesus basically came to him. The resurrected Christ came to him and taught him personally. Now you look at the text, okay? you, you, you know, and that's what he's, he's basically indicating. I mean, here is Paul. I mean, he has direct communication, instruction from the resurrected Christ for three years. At the end of three years, he goes to Jerusalem. He spends 15 days primarily with the Apostle Peter and then also with James, okay? And why did he go up after three years? I mean, think about this. If Jesus appeared to you every day for three years, taught you personally, opened up the scriptures, caused you to see some of the deepest, you know, revelations that you have, at the end of three years, what would you do? Most people will do this. You don't talk to me, you don't teach me, because Jesus taught me, you know? Jesus talks to me directly, you know, so you don't tell me what to do because Jesus talks to me. Most of us Christians will end up like that. But that's not Paul. Paul goes to Peter after, you know, those three years and he confers for 15 days to make sure that he is on the right track. He submitted himself to Peter and he gave an account of what's been happening, what what he's been taught. And Peter affirmed, yes, that's true. Go on. And that's when he leaves Jerusalem, the next 14 years he starts his ministry and he has some of the most effective ministry in those 14 years. And guess what? At the end of 14 years, he comes back to Jerusalem and he meets the leaders in Jerusalem in Galatians 2.2 and he tells us he meets for one thing, to give an account to the leaders of what he has been doing to make sure that he's still on track. I mean, come on, this is Paul. Spent three years with the resurrected Christ hidden in Arabia. This is Paul who for the next 14 years, the, the focal point of, of, of the book of Acts was on him. He was doing the most effective ministry in expanding the gospel of Jesus Christ and yet he comes back and he submits himself and he gives an account for what he does. If Paul kept himself accountable, then we need to do likewise. Amen? Accountability isn't control. Now, there's something that we don't do here in Cornerstone, okay? And, and we don't tell people, you marry this, huh? you marry who you are. We don't tell people who they should marry, okay? When it comes to marriage, you make your own choice. Hello? We will counsel you. We will ask you to go through marriage counseling to help prepare you for that. But we don't make marriage decisions for people, Right? We don't require our people to check with us before they make a career you know, uh, uh, adjustment. Oh, you quit your job. Why don't you ask me for permission? No, no, no. We don't do this kind of thing. Okay? That's control. That's not accountability. We don't demand that people ask our permission before they make transitions in their lives. All we do is the pastors, the leaders, we're here available. If you need counsel, we'll pray with you. Right? But the decision is still yours. So accountability is in control. Accountability is a choice. It is us willingly opening up ourselves, subjecting ourselves to others. and says, Can, you know, let me lay down my actions. Tell me, judge my actions. Is it right? Is it? It's about being transparent. It's about letting other people examine what we are doing. Right? And it's something that we have to willingly submit ourselves to. Accountability is a foreshadow. You see, one day all of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and everything that we do is laid bare before God, and we have to give an account. And if we learn to give an account now in this life, we are preparing ourselves to give an account to God. Yep. Accountability is for our benefit. Okay. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says this obey those who rule over or lead you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy, not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. Now, when you give account to your spiritual leaders, it is for your benefit. Don't torture them, okay? <laughs> Please, huh? Don't torture us. <laughs> yeah, Ultimately, accountability is for our own benefit. Now, I want to close off by um, touching very quickly on the fourth point, okay, which is the rule of love. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23 to 24 says this, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify or build up. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. You see, there are a lot of things that we have legitimate rights to do. But the Bible tells us that, after knowing that you have a legitimate right to do it, there is still a law that governs above that. And that's the law of love. Even if you have a right to do it, by doing it, do you build others up? Do you edify others? Do you stumble people around you? You see, um, if you didn't know that, two weeks ago in the Bugis service, we had a confirmed COVID case that came through uh, the first service at Bugis. Of course, um, uh, about a week later, we found out that it was a non-contagious uh, case. In other words, the guy, the person had a uh, uh, had been infected previously and was now just shedding a remnant uh, RNA. Okay, and uh, and so so you know basically they they all those people who were on quarantine order they had their quarantine order rescinded, but when when they told us that they had the COVID case, uh, MOH specifically said this. He said, "You guys can carry on with service. You don't have to cancel your services." Twice they wrote to us to say we can carry on our service. Okay. But the team was talking and discussing, should we cancel service? Should we carry on the service? Because we have a right, we are legitimate, we are legal and authorized to carry on service. So I remember that day I said to them, hey, you know, we really can't decide on this. So I said, okay, please, everybody stop. Uh, Let me go and run and let me go and ask God, okay? So nowadays, whenever I have a question, I need to ask God, I go and run, okay? Because when I'm running, you know, um, I got nothing in my ears, you know, I'm just focused on, on the Lord. You know, and uh, so I, uh, in the middle of office hour, I changed my running gear. I went and ran. And I remember exactly at which point in my run, the Lord spoke to me. And sure enough, the Lord spoke to me, and the Lord said to me, the Lord said, you have every right to run services, right? That's your legal right. But there'll be some people in Cornerstone who will be concerned about it. For their sake, cancel the service. For their sake, cancel the service. Okay. And let me tell you this. That's the rule of love, Right? Because the law says you can go on. But the law of love says, for the sake of people who are concerned, in order that they not be stumbled, let's cancel the service. So apply this in your lives. There are a lot of things you can do. Sure, you can do, right? But what does the law of love says? Do you do it? Do you think about your brothers and your sisters around you before you do it? Right? What do you do? Right and that's important that is really 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 important amen I you see here in Cornerstone God really wants to build a community that will fully express who it is there's something powerful about freedom there's something powerful that when there is true freedom okay yokes are broken people will walk into the threshold of this building and they will literally be set free their eyes will be open right but we need, but that freedom has to be expressed by us. We need to walk that. We need to learn when to be silent, when to speak. We need to love one another and be committed. We need to know this is not a society, this is a community. Right? And we, we need to have a, a, a deep sense of commitment whereby the law of love rules over us. So let, let's all stand to our feet, and I want to bring this to a close. Amen. I want to pray for us. I want to ask you all, my brothers and my sisters, to join with me as well as online. You know, and let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to all of us. Amen father we just come to you lord we thank you for your goodness your graciousness we thank you that your master plan is beyond anything that we can imagine the wisdom that is in your word oh god we ask you today as we hear the preaching of your word as your word is opened up to us that by your holy spirit lord that you begin to convict us in our hearts Lord. things that might need to change perhaps we really have not opened ourselves up to the community of believers we've come to church but we have not given our lives to transparency to being authentic being accountable Lord Lord I, I ask you to help us change right now our minds our thoughts Lord Father help us Lord to understand that this is not a society this is a community these are people that will build relationships with one another that we won't just come in we'll not be satisfied just to come in go out and that's it and Lord it's got nothing to do with physical services it's got nothing to do with online services because we can come physically to church and yet not connect with people Lord Father, we ask you, help us to change that, Lord. That we'll begin in ourselves, we'll begin with the people around us to love, to care, to ask about their state. Father, change, Lord. Father, help us to understand that we really are a family. We pray here in Cornerstone there'll be such a committedness, Lord. Father, as a gathering of people right now, Lord, church, um, I'm sorry, my brothers and my sisters, I want to ask you to join with me right now. And we want to pray for Pastor Diane's wife. She was early in this morning warded in the hospital. She had suffered a stroke. And we want to just pray for her because when one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts, amen. And and I'm telling you, in a church of our size, there are people going through cancer, there are people struggling in these areas. And we want to be so committed to these people who are struggling, amen. Yeah, and and, and let's just join our hearts. Father, we, we know that there's so many needs, Lord, in the church. Father, specifically we come to You right now, we pray for Eve we pray over her right now in Jesus' name, and we speak healing over her in Jesus' name. Oh God, Father, if there's any more bleeding that's happening, Lord, in a in, in, in a, a, a cranial area, we just pray let the bleeding stop right now in Jesus' name. Oh God, Father, we pray for restoration, for healing. Oh God, we pray, Oh God, that there'll be no uh, defects in the functionality of her body, Oh so God, that, that all the functions in the body will not be affected. Oh God, but we just release your healing over her right now in Jesus name, oh God. Father, we pray for those who are suffering and those who are in pain, Lord, in the church, oh God, those who are fighting cancer, oh God, those who are going through financial issues in their lives. Father, we stand with them, Lord, and we lift them up in Jesus' name, Lord. Help us, Lord, as brothers and sisters, to begin to look out for one another, Lord. They begin to reach out, oh God, and to stand with those, Lord, who are going through a difficult time, oh God. Father, we thank you, Lord. And we just commit this time in your hands. We bless you, oh Lord. We ask us, Lord, we ask you, oh God, to help us make these things a reality in our experience, Lord, not just something that we talk about, Lord. And so, Father, now I just speak your blessings over my brothers and my sisters, oh God, the blessings of God, the Father, the blessings of God, the Son, and the blessings of God, the Holy Spirit. Be with us and abide with us now and forevermore. And everybody say, Oh Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a clap out, shall we? You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.